So would anyone like to ask any questions or make any comments? It doesn't have to be about the talk, it can be about anything at all. How to forgive somebody? Yes. Um, well, I've, I I realized one day that I didn't even I didn't really understand what the word forgiveness means. Um, now, what does it say when you? What does it mean? I mean, re- what does it really mean when you say you forgive somebody? Um, I mean, it doesn't mean that you you forgive, you forget altogether, doesn't it? Um, so I, I start off with the Thai word, which is hayapai, and, and you know, to give freedom from fear. This is strictly, that's literally what Thai, Thai word means. Um, so um, I think that basic level, um, so I'm speaking from sort of Thai, Thai way, um, is it's telling someone you have nothing to fear from me, so you, you've hurt me, you've you've done some bad things, but I won't take revenge, I won't try to uh, hurt you in any way, physically, verbally. Um, so it's an it's an end that way. You you can you can feel safe. So you're giving a sense of safety to the person uh, who has hurt you. But I, I don't think that you can, you know, just decide that you're no longer hurt by what somebody's done. You know, it's not like something you can um, accomplish by an act of will. Um, but you you can say that I won't act upon it, and I won't entertain those thoughts in my mind. That's the other thing. The, you know, you, maybe a thought can arise. You see that person, or something brings it up, and it's kind of like some emotion arise. Um, but forgiveness means that you don't follow that and you just don't bring it up and go over and over and over it again. So it's you're refraining from acting upon those emotions that still probably uh, appear in your mind um, through that, that person's action. You say, I'm not going to act upon them, I'm not going to speak and say things through that emotion, and I'm not going to indulge in that emotion and think about it more and, and keep it alive. And that's how it gradually will, will wither away because you don't feed it anymore. So you can't, I don't think when somebody says, I forgive you, I don't know, I, my, my feeling is, you know, you don't, not, you can't just say, that's oh, right, I forgive you now, and that's the end of it. But when you say, I'm not going to feed those feelings anymore, that's, that's your commitment, not to feed the feeling. Then that would be my understanding of forgiveness.
when anger arises? Well, yes. Um, ang anger is is kind of like, um, you know, it has the worst consequences. You know, if you if you follow your anger, you know, you can create terrible bad karma. Okay, um, that so that's the bad news. Uh, good news is that it feels bad when you're angry. So it's easy to see this is something that, you know, I need to deal with in my life. You know, I, I in, you know, years and years of teaching lay people, you know, um, uh, this question, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of times. Um, but um, I've very rarely do people say, how can I be free of sensual desire? You see? Because um, people don't see that one as a problem. So, so anger is good because, you know, you rec everyone recognizes it as a problem, and that's the first step to dealing with anything. You have to, yeah, this is a problem. So you already have the wisdom that this is a problem. Okay, so dealing with any, um, any defilement, not just anger, but we have to have, we say, like a, a threefold strategy, okay? So there's the area of conduct, there's actions and speech, area of emotion, an area of wisdom or thinking. And the area of uh, conduct means that, so we're talking more, not just what happens in meditation, because it's one, you know, talk about your whole life. Um, it means that when you get angry, you don't express it physically or verbally, okay? So that's, this is the area of training you use willpower. So willpower is something that's like it's a two-edged sword. Um, it's not something you can use internally, but externally you can. You can say, no matter how angry I am, I, will, I promise you I won't hit you over the head. Uh, or, you know, I won't, I won't abuse you physically or verbally. So that's your, your commitment. So at least you're not creating bad karma, which is going to create even more problems for you and the people around you in future. Okay, so uh, that's dealing with the external world. It's a training of restraint. Um, but for emotion, you can't decide not to get angry. You know, and so you can't decide, now I'm a Buddhist, I'm just going to love everybody. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's... I mean, um, you know, you see, see people like that, some spiritual people, you know, these people with these like really fixed, you know, sort of born again, fixed smile on their face, you know, like, I love everybody, you know. Um, uh, and, it, you know, you know, underneath there's some real anger there, you know. Um, so it'd be realistic, you know, it's not going to go away immediately. But then it's not also not who you are. It's not like a fixed part of, of you as a person. It's a habit. It's an energy, it's a habit, something that you've accumulated and something you've cultivated and fed, maybe not just in this lifetime, but past life. It's not going to go away so easily. Um, but what we do is we systematically cultivate all the positive qualities which directly counteract anger. Um, so to begin with is this patience, you know, just being with. So in it just now, I, uh, you know, I said don't express things. So I'm not saying you repress it. You know, you, this is anger. You're just patient with it. Just, it just feels terrible. Look, just notice what that feels like. Just be with it. 
You know, don't try and hide it away. I don't say I'm not angry, but oh, this is really, this is suffering. You know, it's real suffering. So be patient with it. Um, most importantly, perhaps, is mindfulness. So before you become really angry, uh, whether it's in meditation or daily life, it doesn't just happen like a lightning bolt. You know, there are things that lead up to it. And particularly, um, uh, I think, easy to recognize is physical change. When you first start to get uh, irritated, notice where you feel it. You know, some people feel in their arms, in their legs, in their belly. Uh, notice that you particularly, when you start to get angry, where do I feel that in my body? And note it and remember it. And then when you first start to get that, if you're mindful, oh, that's just starting, so you can cut it off uh, very, very, very easily before it develops. Okay? And the other, the third one, as I mentioned just now, is, is loving kindness. Do a lot of uh, metta and loving kindness meditation beginning with yourself. Okay? Um, so, uh, you know, I don't have enough time to go into metta techniques, Ajahn Bandit can probably teach you those. Um, now the third area, most really important, is the area of thinking. And um, so you have certain ideas, certain assumptions, certain ways of thinking that just uh, become second nature to you, um, which create the conditions for anger. So uh, anger is usually like frustrated desire, okay? So you say, where is the desire? What is the desire right now which is not being met, which is making this anger? So, so why is it, you know, say, who do you love the most, okay? And then who do you get angry with the most? You know, is it the same person? Often it is. Um, uh, not, not yourself. I mean, it's usually someone, you know, your, your husband, your, your, your parent, or someone who's close, because we have the most expectations in those people. So if you want, you know, angry, so angry, why? Because, you know, he's not who you want him to be or she's not who, who you want her to be or she does something you don't want her to do or she do doesn't do something you want her to do. So there's always, you know, the, the person is not how you want them to be, who you want them to be. Um, they, uh, they are not um, conforming to your desires. So... So from behind anger, there is this this desire, and to and to uh, and to look at that. Or if you've been angry and then you you're you're feeling a bit calmer now, then just go back over that and just try to see what led up to it. What are the causes and conditions that led up to it? And you know there are many kinds of um, contemplation that you can do. Like you say, why did you get angry? Well, because she did this or she did that. So, uh, oh, so it was the action or was it the person? So if it, I say it was the action, we say, well, if somebody else did it, would you have exactly the same feeling? Then um, probably, well, actually not. You know, well, uh, if your mum did it, would you feel the same? Or somebody, you know, someone that you didn't know altogether did it, would you feel the same amount of anger? So it's not just the action. Um, it's not just the person. You know, the, the, what's, what's going on here? Or we can observe that maybe if we're in a really good mood 
and somebody does something which maybe other times we get really angry with, yeah, we just brush it away and never mind because we're in a good mood. Another time you're in a really frustrated, angry mood and just a tiny thing you get really angry with. So we see the causes and conditions inside as well as outside. So we're taking something apart and looking at it as a conditioned phenomena rather than me, my anger, I'm angry, I'm a bad person because I get angry and, and so on and so forth. So um, so that's on the level of wisdom, on the level of reflection and investigation, and then on the more profound level of vipassana, when you begin to see uh, body, mind, or every element of our existences as a conditioned phenomena arising and passing away, and your sense of identification, your creation, a sense of ownership, or, or as, a, as a being who is this way, starts to fall, uh, starts to dissolve through clear vision of the way things are. So you need working on external expression with restraint, willpower, creating the, um, the wholesome quality, working on the wholesome qualities that counteract wisdom, and then dealing with the foundation of uh, anger, dealing with the foundations of anger through wrong thinking, uh, unwholesome um, mistaken ideas and assumptions, and also developing uh, a wisdom ability to see things clearly in the present moment. Mm. Yeah, that's right, yes. Well, that's, that's, you know, wise, you've seen that. But the thing is, um, you know, when you see this kind of thing, you know, that you have two ways. You know, one way is just get depressed, and the other way is you just laugh. And laughing better way, you know, it's just so ridiculous. You know, so, you know, lighten up a bit. Just It's just so funny, you know. <laughs> so, you know, don't kind of over-dramatize and say, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's just, being a human being is just so funny sometimes, you know, just, you know, we do, we want one thing and we make all the causes and conditions for the exact opposite thing. And that's just the way we are as human beings. So, you know, just funny. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, maybe give me a dutiyampi or a sec second time through. So you have a repressed memory, yeah. Um, 
Um, yeah, so memories coming up in the mind, probably uncomfortable memories. Um, and the question is whether these are authentic memories or that they are being created through the process of avoidance or, or trying to hold them down. Or, um, it's, it's it, the practice of meditation, you know, always you have to keep coming back to this. This has to be within the context of the whole Eightfold Path. And um, it's very important to have a, um, a regular practice of generosity and giving um, and uh, helping others and also um, keeping the precepts. Um, and this is how you create um, a sense of self-esteem, self-respect, and basically uh, how you create a sense of you like yourself. If you're a generous person, you help others, you're, you're, you're able to create boundaries for yourself and live within those boundaries. There's a certain sense of integrity and, and you, you like yourself that way. And that's what the foundation that you need for meditation when you start going into more difficult areas. You, you have to have that uh, basic sense of kindness and goodwill and, and just liking yourself. Um, now, um, as regards um, difficult memories, it's just very, you know, the, the whole thing is just very, you know, it's like massaging. You just very, very gently working around the, the difficult part. If it's too much, just come out and then a bit later come in. Don't push it, don't force it, everything in its own time. As regards, uh, you know, is it real? Is it? Uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, don't. The, 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 one of the things we're learning in in meditation is moving away from uh, uh, an over, or I say, obsession with content of memory to process. So whether it's an authentic, inauthentic, it's a dream, it's you know whatever, um, it arises and it passes away, and that's more important than exactly you know what the provenance of that content is. Um, so it's it the feeling that arises is important, rather than actually what what you're thinking thinking about. So recognizing the arising and passing away, the sense that it's just something passing through the mind. It's not who you are; doesn't belong to you. Um, and that and recognizing the feelings that it arises and not being caught up with them, whether it's fear or anxiety. Oh, this is fear, and you say, look at that, what happens. But you know, really, the the important point is, don't don't push things too much. Um, just like any kind of exercise, yoga, running, you know, massage, anything, gently, gently, just coin, just um, keep going, just very, very gently and and consistently. The role of morality. Um, sorry, yes, I should be repeating this question. The question was the role of um, morality uh, in meditation and the whole um, subject of non being non-judgmental. Um, so, um, very simply, there are, there are 
externally, through keeping precepts, Buddha says you give, you give the greatest gift to the people around you you can possibly give, which is the gift of safety. So um, when you take five precepts, everyone around you knows that you're not a danger to them. And you're not saying that I don't get angry, I don't have desires, I don't this, I don't that, but you're saying, however, uh, whatever's going on in my mind, I won't hurt, I won't steal, I won't commit sexual misconduct, I won't lie, I won't make, take intoxicants that destroy my sense of judgment. And, um, so you're creating a sense of trust um, and warmth um, and safety in the community you live. Um, and this is uh, very important because if you're going to go within, you need to feel safe. You know, monasteries are, meditation centers are safe places. You know, you can feel you can look at stuff in, in these places because of the very high level of morality and, 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 and kindness in these places. Um, internally, as I explained just now, that when you take on morality as, um, as a training, not as dogmas or things that, and not with a desire for reward or fear of, of punishment, but as a training, as boundaries, and you're able to uh, sustain your, yourself within those boundaries, you're not acting and speaking in ways that are going to make you feel bad afterwards and come up in your meditation, um, and you're not going to be... Um, <coughs> Um, you're, you know, you're, you're going to just feel a very basic sense of well-being, and um, it's also um, a good meditation is going through. If you keep precepts and you go through the precept and how you manage to keep the precept one by one, it can just bring up a lot of joy. It's a very good way of removing hindrances from the mind as well. So. Um, Morality is to create healthy um, communities, the kind of communities we want to live in, the kind of families we want to live in, and internally it's creating a foundation of non-remorse, non-guilt, which is uh, essential for developing meditation. This is the thing about being judgmental, I, you know, this... When I when I lived in England, we did, I never heard that word before. So this is kind of a, a word that entered the whole English language after I became a monk. So I'm not so confident I really understand what it means. Um, I think my idea of it um, is, again, the difference between guilt and shame um, and judgmental and making judgments is the sense of self. And if you're being judgmental, it's I'm right, you're wrong. You know, I'm. I know what's what's good and bad, and you don't. And so I think the sense of self is there. So similarly, with sense of shame or hiriotapa, is the sense of recognition that something was was skillful, unskillful, harmful, and feeling a wholesome sense of shame. Or uh, with guilt, it's to say I'm a bad person because I did a bad thing. So whenever the sense of self arises and ownership of a judgment or ownership of a, of a memory, um, then something becomes unwholesome. But I think that um, 
you know, if it, sometimes this kind of non-judgmental thing is like, you know, don't make any any value judgments about anything or anybody, then I, I can't see that that's very very wise. Um, you know, if we if we see um, <clears throat> if someone is um, drinking, getting drunk, and then driving a car, you know, we can say that's a foolish thing to do. I don't think that would be judgmental, would it? But it's making a judgment that you're you're acting in a in a foolish way. So um, having a, um, certain standards and criteria, uh, and then um, examining things that happen in the light of those criteria, will be making judgments um, and um, sort of being kind of conceited or arrogant or proud or looking down and, and saying I'm right and you're wrong and I'm 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 judging you that you're a bad person because you do that, then that would be unwholesome. Something to be avoided. Yeah. Um well loving loving kindness is um you know it's it's one of these kind of imperfect um translations of pali terms that we just sort of got accustomed to um i think it it's uh, wishing well wishing people well so if, if you um take a loving kindness or love then it seems very impractical you know how could you love everybody and it's this way way up there it's like um too idealistic but uh, you don't have to like somebody to wish them well and uh in the case of somebody who's um acted really really badly and and acted abominably you know well can you feel metta or loving kindness for them well um in that case you <clears throat> rather than taking their their actions or their elements of their personality, which you find really obnoxious, as as an obstacle, saying I can't have meta for somebody like that, then you actually take it's like more like sort of judicial. You you take that particular thing. You say, may that person um, free themselves from that habit. Uh, that person is making really bad karma um, through acting in that way. Uh, may they see the error of their ways, and may they give up and 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 become kinder or more unselfish or so so you're thinking for that particular person what 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 would be the good thing that you could you could wish that person so it's it's wishing well and and you can adapt that to to particular individuals and uh, it's a really good um a really good practice like in an airport i do this in airports or or busy places and just try to think of a good thing that you could wish for each person. It has to be different for every person, you know. Um, it's it's really really uh, fun way of being in a busy place, you know. Um, so you know, you see someone who's really overweight, and then you think, oh, may you never be teased, and may for being overweight, you know. Uh, or you see someone who's really kind of put on a lot of makeup, and you think, may you be free from vanity, and you know, you sort of. Like every single person, try to think of some good thing that they could um, that you wish for them. Yeah. 
Yeah, but that's what happens all the time anyway, isn't it? You know, ideas come in your mind and you follow them. So uh, it's not any different when you sit down. Did 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 everyone hear that? Is that? Um, so you're you're talking specifically about meditation. Yeah. Yeah. So um, again, the like the most imp- uh, so it's asking about is it dangerous to meditate without a guide or a teacher? Things could happen. Is that correct? Yeah, um, I, I think um, yes and no. Um, if you're just uh, you know if you're meditating by yourself and you never meditated before, your five minutes or ten minutes, it's not going to be a danger to you. Um, but the it is important to, um, as I say, to um, be living um, uh, a conscious and moral life. Uh, because um, a lot of people who um, lead very um, unwholesome life, they they survive by keep going, doing this and doing that, never being alone, never having to stop and to recognize what's inside them. So that's why solitary confinement is like the most serious punishment um, in the world, you know, except for the very few countries where they still kill people. But the idea you have to be by yourself is considered to be terrible torture and punishment. So it can be if you've, you know, if you've done a lot of um, unwholesome, stupid things. But if just for a few minutes, you know, it's not problem. But if you have an interest in meditation, it is good to to go to see a teacher and get some instruction. But it doesn't mean that you have to, you know, only meditate in his or her presence. Um, but you can go away and and try it out, and then you have some question and some doubt, come back and and ask for some advice. But also, I mean, this is the best time in the history of Buddhism, you know, for a lay uh, meditator. You have access to teachings of uh, great masters from all kinds of traditions, you know, at your, you know, at a click, you know, at a you know, uh, it, it's just incredible uh, how much good information and good um, uh, guidance there is out there in books and in radio, TV, YouTube. So, so you know, it's not like you're completely without a map. Or, but um, if you do have something come up and you feel uncomfortable, or you feel, then stop and then go to see the teacher and and say, "This is happening. Is this okay?" Um, this is all right. But um, I think just for a short meditation period every day, you know, it's not going to be majorly dangerous. Yeah, so I, I will, I will, I will give you an analogy or a simile because uh, intelligent people can usually understand things with similes. Um, so the idea is life is like a candle flame. Okay, so what is a candle? Candle flame is not a thing; it's a process. It's a chemical reaction through time, dependent on oxygen, candle, the wick, and so on. Okay, so this is like life; it's not a thing. Okay, it's a process. Now, your candle number one, burning down. And before it burns out, 
you light candle number two. So it's not that there is a thing called can uh, flame number one, which has been reborn in candle number two. Um, but there is a continuous process. But the physical basis of that process has now changed from candle one to candle two. So th this is, you know, there's no sense of a being or a thing, but it's a continual process um, on which the physical basis um, has has changed. Is that clear? So um, a more modern example um, or analogy um, one teacher came up with was like sending a fax. So you write something, you know, there's the ink on the, on the paper here and, and you send the fax maybe to um, the other side of the world um, and then the, the same uh, symbols and letters and words appear on a piece of paper on the other side of the world. But it's not that those, those symbols have, tran uh, have traveled through the world. They've been transposed into a different medium and then reappeared. Um, and that's a, another kind of, you know, it's not exactly uh, what happens, but it, it gives some kind of idea how a physical phenomena can reappear in another place without some particular thing traveling through space. Um, yeah, there's no, there's no, oh, sorry, is, uh, is the law of karma contradicted by or in conflict with ideas of fate and destiny? Yeah, I don't believe that. Um, no, um, you know, there are, um, great masters who have, uh, psychic powers, and they, these um, people who possess these psychic powers, um, one power is the knowledge of future. And um, even arahants who have this psychic power are only successful. You know, their predictions are only accurate to about fifty percent of the time. So um, it's not like a fixed thing. There are many. Uh, like something is highly likely to happen, or there are it causes and conditions, but it's just incredibly complex, uh, the law of karma. And even someone with that kind of mental capacity um, cannot always be accurate in, their, in that kind of um, prophecy. There is no, there's no kind of fixed fate um, and, and destiny. Now that's the, you know, that's the whole... Um, if there was, there would be no Buddhism. There would be no why. Why develop sila samadhi and banya if uh, you know if everything was already decided? You know why bother? Why get up early in the morning? Why you know why why go through pain in your knees and your back? You know what would be the point? Yeah. So this is one of the ideas that the Buddha rejected. You know this idea of a fixed fate um, that uh, whatever you do um, is doesn't mean anything. So you know the idea uh, in a in a modern idiom is like if you ever seen these um, 
uh, kiddies' toy. You know, they're like a steering wheel, a plastic steering wheel. You know, and and a little boy or girl sits in the back of the car with, and just imagines they're driving. Actually, it's dad in front or mum in front who's doing the driving, but they can like feel like. Have you ever seen kids playing like that? Anyway, that's the idea of fate and destiny. You know, you feel that you're steering the car, but you're like the little kid who doesn't really know what's going on. It's God or it's it's uh, some divine force. And so the Buddha said that he doesn't. Um, uh, through his vision, understanding of the way things are, that's that's not accurate. Um, um. Sorry, there's one more question. Yeah, well, I, I think it's been sorry. Um, how important is anger in in um, in facing up to or, or, or dealing with social injustice? Um, um, I I think that the, the the important thing to see is that well, I would say it's generally agreed that you know there are certain kinds of anger which you should you should cherish because there is that kind of anger which um gives you the energy to to fight the good fight and to deal with you know incredible odds you know what keeps you going it's your anger um and and buddhist view is that that's um incorrect and that you should ju- not just take a stand against anger but look very closely at what anger does to you what it does to your sense of judgment and what kinds of action it stimulates, how wise the actions that uh, result from, from anger are. And the, and the Buddha will say, it's just not worth it. Um, anger distorts your sense of judgment, distorts your sense of proportion, um, it's harmful to yourself, and um, basically it's, it's a virus, and it's not, it's not a good virus. <laughs> so... Um, what the the Buddha is 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 advocating is not passivity, um, but understanding that things occur due to causes and conditions. You know, there's not there's sort of a force of evil in the world, bad people and good people, and there's just ignorance and defilement and people. And the more you look at your mind and you under, you see even you you maybe have an ideal to let go of greed and hatred and delusion, and yet you find it very difficult to do that, then how much more so for people who never even thought about uh, letting go of those things or actually take a pride in them. So given the way that most people uh, mind work, uh, I mean, it's, it's actually probably a miracle that the, the world isn't worse than it is, basically. You know, there is a certain amount of goodness. But it's, so it's recognizing, yeah, as long as, you know, people's minds are dominated by greed and jealousy and, and, and so on and so forth, the world's going to be like this. It's always going to be like this because the causes, conditions are like this. But um, we do what we can. Each person does what they can because it's the right thing to do. Because this is our, this is our, our, our practices 
human beings who are, you know, in the words used when I grew up, you know, we want to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Um, but, you know, to be part of the solution, but not to expect that there is a solution. You know, that, that's the difficult thing. Um, but just that sense of, yeah, you feel, you know, I'm doing what I can do. That's, 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 that's a much better feeling than just getting angry and, and upset and disappointed. And I don't, I don't think that's really sustainable in the long run. Thank you. Really. We'll stay. We'll finish with the blessing of the moment. Uh, one piece of fate and destiny that you can rely on. Thank our traffic jam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Those of you coming back from the vans, we're going to leave at three thirty, so you've got time for a uh, you know quick drink, quick trip to the bathroom, quick uh, sniff of a real live treat, <laughs> and then. You don't have to go back in the same van you came with, but if you've left something in the van now, do go and get it and transfer it to the van you're going home in. One of the vans is going to Saturn, the other four vans are going to be Morchid. Morchid is a GPS and uh, underground, Uh, so this should be okay for everybody. Uh, just one of the rounds that goes to the south. Okay. Uh, I hope to see you all at Rojinar on Thursday. Uh, and if you can finish the blessing. Yeah, my voice has gone. You do that. You bless him. <laughs> <laughs>